I want to describe a nation to you. It comes out of the, the um, Operation World uh, book, which has had its seventh edition. It was published last year. Uh, it, it, in a sense, gives a description of all the nations of the world, tries to give a summary of them, and gives prayer points that you can uh, pray over. And I'm going to describe a nation to you from that prayer book, uh, from that book of <clears throat> facts. This is a country where nearly half of all children were born out of wedlock, where alcohol and drug abuse are high. It is the worst performing Western European nation based on economy, employment, health, and education. It's a country that has known localized revivals, some great missionaries and pastors, but today 27% of the population claim no religion. The national church denomination is experiencing a steep decline, uh, half of what it was 50 years ago, uh, and attendance a tiny fraction of the membership. Within that national church, there's a shortage of pastors and ministers. Nominalism is widespread. Liberal theology still dominant and Freemasonry influential. Well, do you know the nation? Scotland. It's kind of sobering to see it in black and white, isn't it? Um, one of the politicians has come up with this phrase, broken Britain a society where there is much that is broken. And as we look around, we see uh, congregations in this nation are aging and closing. And you look at the stats, you see families are breaking up. Uh, where there's unfaithfulness, there's um, sexual addictions and divorce are just ripping homes apart. Uh, there are communities that are really struggling in this city and throughout Scotland with poverty, with alcohol and drug abuse. And uh, here we are in an economic downturn in a nation whose remaining pride was perhaps in the strength of its banking industry. And even that's taken a huge knock. It turned out that the banks were broke and we all borrowed too much and that uh, there are some big debts that need to be paid off. When things are broken... How do you start again? When your marriage is broken, when a relationship is broken, when your life is broken, how do you start again? When your relationship with God is broken, how do you start again? Well, what does God have to say to us in this? Well, I want you to open your Bibles, please, to Zechariah beginning properly today a series. We're going to work through this book of Zechariah. And if you pay, turn to page 950 in the Red Church Bibles, page 950. I want to suggest to you this is what God has to say to broken Britain, broken Scotland. I'm just going to read the first six verses today. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, the son of Idu. The Lord was very angry with your forefathers. Therefore, tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. 
Do not be like your forefathers, to whom the earlier prophets proclaimed. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Turn from your evil ways and your evil practices. But they would not listen or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Where are your forefathers now? And the prophets, do they live forever? But did not my words and my decrees, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your forefathers? Then they repented and said, The Lord Almighty has done to us what our ways and practices deserve, just as he determined to do. What does God have to say to us? Well, I'd like you to just to focus on verse 3 of our reading there. Therefore, tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says, Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. The Bible is clear. The way that we need to respond is that we need to repent. We need to repent. That's how Zechariah begins his book and his ministry to the returned exiles. Individuals, families, churches must turn back to God in repentance. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty. And we can best understand what this means for us by first understanding what it meant when it was first spoken by Zechariah the prophet. He lived 500 years before the coming of Jesus. And he's addressing uh, those who had returned out of exile. Largely, it was the children and the grandchildren, although maybe some of the older ones had actually been in Israel during the time when the Babylonian Empire came in and crushed the nation of Judah. Maybe some of the returnees did include some of the older men and women who remember what it was to see the Babylonians come in and totally destroy their economy, totally destroy their their national city of Jerusalem, to see the killing of tens of thousands of their people, and then other tens of thousands of their main leaders were taken and forcibly deported out of the land and taken to Babylon and assimilated within the Babylonian Empire. It was a totally devastating experience that they had gone through. And he is addressing now some of those who had returned back from the exile. Decades after this horrific event had taken place in Judah, uh, the Babylonian Empire got uh, swamped by the Medo-Persian Empire. And the new ruler, Cyrus, had decreed that actually uh, those who had been forcibly deported could go back to their lands and their territories. Uh, They should go back and rebuild their temples as houses of prayer, that they should pray for him, the mighty King Cyrus. So he had his own political agenda for this. But people responded. Over 40,000 of the Jewish people responded and went back. And there they are. They're in the land. They're surrounded by the rubble of a broken economy. (laughs) The rubble of a broken capital city. It was nothing. The temple destroyed, living amongst the stones. And it was to these people who had returned to the land that Zechariah proclaims this message, return to me, 
declares the Lord Almighty. See, there was a deeper returning that needed to take place. You can be in the right place, but still physically, uh, physically you can be in the right place, but still really in the wrong place spiritually. And here you are today. You're one of the few people that has actually bothered to turn out to church today in Edinburgh. The vast majority have not. Now, this is a good place to be, isn't it? Uh, where the Bible has been read, to hear the Bible preached, it's a good place to be. But can I ask you, where are you spiritually today? You can be in the right place physically, but in the wrong place spiritually. Your heart's still far away from the Lord. And we need to hear this call to come back to God. Return to me, says the Lord Almighty. Come and look at these verses with me. I want to point three things out this morning. Firstly, our need of repentance. Our need of repentance. Look at verse 2. The Lord was very angry with your forefathers. Zechariah gives them a history reminder. Why were they living in a devastated land, surrounded by destroyed buildings and a destroyed city, having lost their sovereignty to a foreign empire? Why were they there in that place? Well, because of this. God's anger against sin is real. God's anger against sin is is real. Let me tell you, not many people, uh, not many places in Edinburgh are going to tell you this. You're not going to hear this on the television news today. So I'm glad you're here today. God's anger against sin is real. Their forefathers, over many generations, had pursued sin. They'd rejected God's commands, and he'd sent prophet after prophet to warn them of his anger against their sin and the judgment would certainly come if they did not repent listen to these words from Isaiah the prophet they were were written 200 to 300 years before uh, the book of Zechariah and Isaiah calls to the people and says uh, on behalf of the Lord come now let us reason together says the Lord though your sins are like scarlet they shall be as white as snow though they are red As crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isaiah, Jeremiah, many others warned in exactly the same way, tenderly beseeching the people to turn from their sin. That was the way of life, to keep persisting in their sin. That was the way of death and destruction and judgment. How do they respond to these warnings? Well, look at verse 4. Do not be like your forefathers to whom the earlier prophets proclaimed. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Turn from your evil ways and your evil practices. But they would not listen or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Where are your forefathers now? And the prophets, do they live forever? 
And the rhetorical question is met with the obvious answer. They're nowhere. They were swept away in judgment. They're no longer there. For they did not heed the words of the prophets. They refused to take it seriously. And let's be honest. Is that not exactly where we are today? The problem with our society today is that we do not think that sin is a serious thing. We do not believe God's word when it says that judgment is coming. It's a joke to people. But let me be crystal clear this morning. The Bible is unmistakable about this. Keep your finger in Zechariah. Let me turn to Romans chapter 2. You'll find this um, on page uh, 1,129. Keep your finger in Zechariah and turn over to page 1129. The Top Gear uh, TV presenters got into uh, hot water again uh, for uh, the judgments they expressed about Mexicans uh, last week. But really, um, their comments are just a minor illustration of how quick we all are to make negative judgments about others. We we all do it, not just Jeremy Clarkson. So look at what Romans chapter 2 has to say to Jeremy Clarkson and to you and me. Uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 3. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness, that is his delay, leads you towards repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Now a straightforward reading of of those verses make it clear that there is a day of God's wrath that is coming. If we take the Bible seriously, then there is a warning here. God is angered by our sin and, and that our stubborn disobedience and sin is storing up wrath against ourselves that we will experience on the day of God's wrath. Is that not clear from Scripture? Turn back to Zechariah. The Lord was very angry with your forefathers. I would urge you to take time to meditate on the anger of God against sin. Do you know what? It was only after the judgment fell... And the Babylonians came in and crushed the nation and took people off to exile that they turned in repentance. Look at verse 5. Where are your forefathers now? The prophets, they live forever. The answer is gone. Verse 6. But did not my words and my decrees which I commanded my servant, the prophets, overtake your fathers? Then they repented and said, The Lord Almighty has done to us what our ways and our practices deserve, just as he determined to do. And you can read in Ezra chapter 9, Nehemiah chapter 9, Daniel chapter 9, three different people praying and recognizing that indeed, yes, 
The judgment that had come had come because they deserved it as a nation. And a prayer of repentance, uh, not just for themselves, but on the part of their people. Repentance towards God at all that had taken place. God's anger against sin is real. It's not a joke. His judgment day is coming. And not even death will enable us to escape it. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 is very clear. Man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. And so the call down through the pages of scripture from a holy and yet loving God is the call to repent. If God is angered by a sin, he would be quite right in just immediately bringing justice on us. But in his kindness and forbearance and patience, he waits and he calls out lovingly, return to me. It's exactly what we saw Jesus doing when he began his public ministry, wasn't it? Read Mark chapter 1, uh, verse 14 and 15. He bursts on the public stage of history and he starts proclaiming the good news of God and the command is repent and believe the good news. Do you see the need for repentance? Secondly, the definition of repentance. What does it mean to repent? Well, have a look at verse 3 and 4. You can see that there's two sides to repentance here. This is what the Lord Almighty says, Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Verse 4, Do not be like your forefathers to whom the earlier prophets proclaimed. This is what the Lord Almighty says, Turn from your evil ways and your evil practices. True repentance means a turning away from sin, and it's described here as evil ways and evil practices. True repentance means that we will turn away from things that God hates. We'll come and read his word and see what God hates. And we will turn away from the things that God hates. And if you were to kind of summarize kind of the list of major sins that the prophets kept preaching against, it was a twofold thing. He preached against the sins of uh, idolatry and the sins of hypocrisy. Idolatry is simply putting something else or someone else that is not God in the place of God. It is where we kind of uh, give uh, it the honor and the devotion and love and worship of our lives that only God is worthy of. That's idolatry. And it doesn't have to be a a statue, although in pluralistic Britain there's still lots of people now putting statues up, uh, uh, idols up in their kitchens. And, uh, and, and bowing down and giving food offerings to their idols each day. But we have different idols. All of us have different idols that can consume our love and devotion that it, our life is about, that is centered on. The one thing that defines us. And if that is not God, my friends, that is an idol. And God hates idolatry. Idolatry makes God very angry. And secondly, hypocrisy. And that's where we kind of, we, we, we worship God and yet really it's divorced from any serious commitment to obeying God in the rest of the week. Where we kind of look the part on the day of worship, but really the way we think and live and act the rest of the week, it just, there's just no connection. It's sheer hypocrisy. 
And God hates hypocrisy. He kept calling them over and over again to turn away from being hypocrites. Uh, the Jewish nation, the Israel, uh, Israelite people, never gave up on the temple worship. They just also added lots of idols. And it just didn't fit with the life that they were living in terms of justice and truth. And true repentance means that we will turn away from the sins of idolatry and hypocrisy. We will turn away from sin. That's the one side of repentance. And the other side is that we will turn to God. Return to me, says the Lord. These are the two sides of repentance. And without turning to God, you know, we will never have the strength and power to turn away from sin. We'll never be able to turn away from sin just with sheer willpower and effort. We need to turn to God in order to turn away from sin. These are the essential parts of repentance. Don't be like your forefathers, Zechariah declared, but repent. Turn back to God. Now what specifically did they need to repent of? After all, these are the ones who left the comfort of Babylon. You know, after many decades in Babylon, you know, Jeremiah said, settle down, buy homes, buy land, start businesses, get married, settle into Babylon. It's going to be a long haul there. And, and uh, many of them, no doubt, had prospered, got comfortable, you know, just got their house just the way they wanted it. And, uh, you know, the garden was looking great and the life was sorted and the, all the kids were there and it was great. And these are the guys who heard the call to go back. And they left probably prosperous, settled lives to go back to this chaotic uh, country that was disintegrated. It was just covered in rubble. To go back to the land uh, where God had made all those promises. Surely these were the good guys who, who came back to this, to start again. So why did they need to repent? I'm profoundly in the debt of Barry Webb for teaching me the answer to this question. Great commentary, and they came out to Spokane and lectured on this. Zechariah started two months after Haggai, and that's why we read Haggai earlier. So just turn back a page. It's our Old Testament reading, Haggai chapter 1. So two months before Zechariah started speaking, Haggai spoke. 1 verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? These returnees had been in the land for about 20 years. They'd begun rebuilding the temple. They'd set the altar stone. But you know what? They had experienced years of intimidation. The, the people that were in the land when they got back, they weren't happy to see them. And uh, they were very anxious and concerned to see this resurgence of uh, the Israelites in their land. Some things never change. And as they began to rebuild the temple, they experienced great opposition, great intimidation, many setbacks, many difficulties. And after 18 years of setbacks and discouragements, they just stopped. They just stopped. For two years, nothing had happened. What did they do? Against all these setbacks, did they call themselves to 
fasting and prayer, seeking God to overcome these difficulties, uh, to say, Lord, you've got to do something here so that we can uh, build this temple for your name, for your glory amongst the nations that may be rebuilt. Did they do that? No, what did they do? They went down to B&Q and bought a new kitchen. It was just too much hard work. And so they just focused on making the home more attractive, more beautiful. And, you know, who can blame them? Um, is, it, is it wrong to uh, want to have a nice house? Is it wrong to kind of buy a new sofa, uh, put in a new bathroom suite? Is that wrong? No. There's nothing wrong in that, is there? That's what normal people do. But that's exactly the problem. It's not so much the sin of what they were doing, but the sin of what they were not doing. It was the sin of immersing themselves in taking care of their own house while the Lord's house remained a ruin. The sin that they were engaged in was the sin of just being normal. Of just living like everybody else that surrounded them. Just living like the people who'd always been in the land, that, that got deported into the land as they got deported out. To be just like them, to share their concerns, just to make the garden just a little bit nicer, to make the house a little bit more comfortable. And they, in, in their discouragement at how tough the work was for God's name, they just pushed back did DIY. Zechariah is calling them to repent of just being normal. For God's people to be solely absorbed with home makeover shows and home improvements, uh, rather than primarily focused on the work of the gospel, the business of the kingdom of God, is a great sin that requires repentance. That's the message of Zechariah. And I wonder, what do you think God is trying to teach us in this economic crisis? I'm sure that he is teaching uh, many different things at many different levels. Uh, I don't have any special revelation from God to tell you exactly what God is doing in the economic climate. But I wonder whether Haggai makes us think about this economic crisis in a different way. Is the Lord trying to grab the attention of his church Look at Haggai chapter 1 verse 5. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much. You've harvested little. Is that the pension pot that's not worth much now? You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. That sounds like uh, inflationary pressure with uh, no increase in salaries to me. This is what the Lord Almighty says, verse 7. Give careful thought to your ways. I wonder what the Lord is trying to teach us in this economic crisis. Verse 8. Go up into the mountains, bring down timber, and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. 
You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. Oh, my friends, I wonder, I wonder, do I, do we need to hear this call to repentance today? To repent of just being normal. That Operation World, as I read it, it was sobering, wasn't it? The challenge of our godless society, the, the, the great needs that we have physically, economically, socially, but you know, above all, spiritually. How desperately broken things are in our society. But we have to see how terribly broken things are in Christian churches. Are we more focused on what will make life more comfortable to us as a church than we are to the challenge of reaching and discipling the lost people around us? Are we living in such a way that it is clear that the central passion of our hearts is to see God's name honored in this city and in this nation? To see gospel work advance? Are we focused on reaching out with the gospel, building people up with the gospel, sending people out with the gospel? Do we shape our time and our work and our finances to make disciples and to plant churches? Or are we just keeping up appearances on a Sunday and really busy in the rest of the week just chasing what everybody else is pursuing? Jesus taught us that when we start just getting worried about what the pagans worry about, anxious about what we will eat or drink or wear, that we need instead to focus on our Heavenly Father. And Jesus said this, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And all these other things will be given to you as well. Uh, Can I just say thank you for those who gave to the anniversary offering in January. On top of the regular giving and the anniversary offering, it was over £80,000 that was given last month. I want to say thank you. That is a huge encouragement of, in a sense, we show where our priorities are with our cash, don't we? And thank you to all who gave. And can I say to you, if you're not giving your money to gospel work, if you're not committed to membership of a particular local church, if you are not engaged in some way in your prayers and in your love and care, see the kingdom of God work, I want to say to you today, wrestle with this passage. Why engage in a life that's just like everybody else who's not a believer, who doesn't love Christ this is a passage to call us to repent of living just like everybody else and I have to say I feel this tug on my heart regularly don't know about you a church life can feel like quite an effort sometimes and part of me just kind of wants to settle back just live a normal life why the hassle of Christian leadership uh Why not just settle back? Enjoy a Sunday, have a lie-in, read the papers, have a nice cup of coffee, and pot around a bit of golf. Why not do that? So much easier. Well, to live like that, 
is to say, God, I'm not interested in you. I don't care about your name. I don't care about your honor. I don't, I don't care about the lost people who need the gospel. I'm just going to live a self-absorbed little life. And my friends, if we are feeling the pull and the tug of that on our hearts today, then we need to hear this word, return to me, says the Lord Almighty. Did you hear from James? Chapter 4. Friendship with the world is hatred towards God. Friendship with the world is hatred towards God. Now actually, we go out there and we love people in the world. We engage with them. We engage in the same things that everybody else does. And yet, our primary motivation is that we do it for the glory of God. We live for Him. Thirdly, if we're feeling that we need to repent, I want to just give you some encouragement to see the promise of repentance. It's right there in verse 3. For those who repent, there's a great promise here, isn't there? Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you says the Lord Almighty. Who's speaking? The Lord Almighty. The God who created everything. The Almighty King of creation. And he says, return to me and I will return to you. This is such a wonderful promise. If you are here as someone who's never turned from your sin and and, and rebellion against God, I'm so glad you're here today because I want you to hear this gracious invitation from God to you if you're not a Christian. Return to me, God says, and he will return to you. If you're here today and and uh, and you know you you've been a Christian for many years, And yet actually we know that our hearts are far away from God. We've only just kind of got in the door today because it's routine. Hearts are feeling pretty cold. I'm so glad you're here. Listen to this promise. Return to me, says the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you. Maybe you've been backsliding for many years and, and just for some reason you found yourself in this church today. It doesn't matter what's happened in the past. It doesn't matter about your family story, how bad your parents were, your grandparents. My friends, this is a promise to you today. Return to me, and I'll return to you. Though God is angry at our sin, he is gracious. He longs that we should turn and repent. This is the character of God. Jesus shows us quite clearly in his parable of the prodigal son when the prodigal son who's, who told his dad to drop dead runs off spends all his money when he wakes up in the pigsty and thinks to himself what am I doing in this pigsty and he begins to repent he gets up from his pigsty and he starts heading home where's his dad his dad's on the horizon he's watching for his son he sees his son he runs to his son Jesus is showing us the character of God and he longs that we should repent and turn he is eager to receive us back to himself to bestow honor that we did not deserve to bestow his love and his mercy bring the best 
best robe, killed a fatted calf. But my son was dead and he is alive. What an amazing God. Here is the glorious promise of God's word. I will return to you. Do you see how personal this is? Return to me. It's not returning back to religion, back to church going. It's returning to God. Returning to the Lord Jesus. Receiving his forgiveness and his mercy. On what basis will he receive us? How can he accept us if we have engaged in evil ways and evil practices? How can he do that? Well, Zechariah's call was to back up the call of Haggai, and it was a call for them to rebuild a temple. Now, why was that so crucial, a temple? Because it was at the temple that they would be able to bring animal sacrifices and know the forgiveness of their sins. We need atonement. We need someone to cover over our sins, to wipe them away, to make us clean, to make us right with God. We need atonement. And in Zechariah's day, that was all about the temple and bringing animal sacrifices and blood being applied to get that forgiveness. But all of that is a picture to get us ready for the ultimate reality, which was the coming of God's own son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And him offering his perfect life as a sacrifice for sins. Swapping places with us. We deserve judgment. But he takes our place. He sheds his blood so that we can be forgiven. That our evil ways and our evil practices can be forgiven and wiped over and covered over. And that is the basis by which God can say to us, return to me and I'll return to you. Because he has made the full provision to cleanse us from all sin, all defilement, all wickedness. What glorious news this is. It is the only hope for a broken society. It is the only hope that God is bringing about his kingdom, an eternal kingdom. It's breaking in. It will come in its fullness. And do you know what? Jesus puts broken people back together. He puts broken marriages back together. He puts broken lives back together. He's going to come again and bring a whole new world in which his people will live forever. And the call today is that we live our lives now in the light of that coming kingdom. And it begins with repentance. Let's bow our heads.